One and all, welcome to the latest, the greatest Knicks nonfiction. Here with your host, I'm Pickle Rick. This time on the show, we have got Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Industrial society and its future. Maybe you were forced to read this one in high school. Today, no reading required. All you have to do to feel good is take some Soma. Hey, Doc, give me a double dose of Ambien. <laughs> I was acting. Soma, it's already here. Alpha through Epsilon. This guy's talking about how you feed information to different classes. TikTok? You're not that guy, pal. TikTok? It's a brain damage machine. I got a quote from the homie Frederick Douglass. To make a contendant slave, you must make a thoughtless one. It is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision as far as possible to annihilate it. Frederick Douglass, the man who taught himself how to read. And today, this book is like totally fiction. But you'll see how a power structure feeds certain classes different information. TikTok! So yeah, he talks about how reading is how you decondition yourself. You're going to learn about the hatchery today. We'll compare it to the public school system. Huxley goes deep. He's saying Orwell cucked out. They only got your body and your mind. No, no, no. Huxley thinks the government has your soul. No, 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 no. Mass entertainment, technology, medicine, pharmaceuticals, the art of persuasion, the hidden influence of the elites. You ever have a dream about a dystopian future where robots control every aspect of your life? And then you're woken up by your alarm clock? Industrial society and its future. We'll be right back. About the author, Aldous Huxley. We did it once. We're not doing it again. Go check out The Doors of Perception, a previous episode. YouTube pushed that one really hard. Uh, Harry shit on Instagram, patreon.com slash niche, Adalatia. Loads of content. How did we start this year with Ready Player One? I think that might be more accurate than 1984 and Brave New World. Ready Player One, Apple just came out with their friggin' headset. Bro, the only place left to go. They're ruining movies and video games are even being wokeified. We're going to step into the multiverse and it's going to be the most amazing pants shitting experience ever. Ready Player One might have been better than Brave New World. Still going to be a kick-ass show today. We'll be right back. Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Chapter One, The Hatchery. Do you want to see the most illegal thing I own? The novel opens up in the Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Center. The year is 632 AF, after Ford. The director of hatcheries and conditioning is given a group of students a tour of the factory that produces human beings and conditions them for their predestined roles in the world state. We've been tricked. We've been backstabbed. They got five casts, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, and... <laughs> Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, they undergo the Bakanovsky process. Ew, they're forced to inhale farts in the incubator. Now, they shock the egg so that it forms 96 identical embryos. Surgically removed ovaries, produce ova that are fertilized in artificial receptacles and incubated in specifically designed bottles. 96 identical twins working 96 identical machines. The voice was almost tremulous with enthusiasm. You really know where you are for the first time in history. He quoted the planetary motto, community, identity, stability. Grand words. I'm just smelling my farts here. And 
I've decided that I want to die. It smells that bad. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a dippy in. It's a good book. We'll slow it down a little bit. I'm thankful that you guys show up for real. I think I take the audience for granted. I read a book a week for you. <laughs> Solved by standard gammas on varying deltas, uniform epsilons, millions of identical twins, the principle of mass production at last applied to biology. Ew, that's like mass incest. FBI, open up! <laughs> 90, everybody millions of twins? Stop it. Mass production assembly line humans, yada, yada, yada. Maybe that's what the mandatory gene therapy is for. Hello, your computer has virus. We also predestine and condition. We decant our babies as socialized human beings, as alphas or epsilons, as future sewage workers or futures. Bro, I'm like a sigma male. Where does that come in? <laughs> that means you're retarded, sigma male. Uh, he was going to say future world controllers, but correcting himself said future director of hatcheries. So yeah, you're not allowed to have any mud bloods at Harvard and the higher universities, whatever. 70% of the female fetuses are sterilized. They are shown as free martins. The fetuses undergo treatments depending on their caste. Oxygen deprivation and alcohol treatment ensure the lower intelligence and smaller size of members of three lower castes. Can't just be a coincidence that Mexicans drink a case of beer a night and they're all four feet tall. Stunting growth. Alcohol. <laughs> Don't make me do it. <laughs> so they call it in the book, Inescapable Social Destiny. The director of the hatchery introduces Lenine Crown to the students. She says her job is to immunize the fetuses designed for the tropics with vaccine for typhoid. All right, well, I'm going to have to block out that word. Anywho, the director then introduced... <laughs> She's a little bit better at selling the inescapable social destiny. She dresses it up. For particulars, as everyone knows, making for virtue and happiness generalities are intellection necessary, not evil. Not philosophers, but fret sawyers and stamp collectors compose the backbone of society. Damn, she's like uh, preaching to the working man here. He's in some classic politics. Stamp collectors are what move society forward. <laughs> so yeah, they're keeping all the riches. Who cares about all the politics? Utopia? You're going to make me do utilitarianism versus deontologicalism? We ain't going back to the textbooks. That's year one through four next nonfiction. Next... The director takes the uh, everyone to the nursery. They call it the Neo-Pavlovian Conditioning Room. That just should be what school is called. And modern problems require modern solutions. There's a famous scene. The students are observing a Bokanovsky group. Eight-month-old twin babies wearing their Delta khaki clothes. Some nurses present the babies with books and flowers. So the babies start crawling to the flowers and the books. And they shock them. Neo-Pavlovian. And so they say, after 200 repetitions of the same process, the children will have an instinctive hatred of books and flowers. And they also do elementary sex classes, and that's promoted. Oh, Aldous, is that you? Yeah, I'm calling from the future. It looks like you predicted transgender reading time. Yep. 
Wordless conditioning is crude and wholesale. It cannot bring home the finer distinctions, cannot inculcate the more complex courses of behavior. For that, there must be words, but with words without reason, in brief hypnopedia. This is like their conditioning they do. When you're asleep, they burst, uh, you must love Big Brother, over on a loop into your room. Hypnopedia. Some hypnotists say that, like people that are grounded, they can't be hypnotized. But if you're being messed with genetically from birth to deteriorate your free will, this is a fictional society we're talking about. But yeah, there's that old quote of Aldous Huxley where he says, reading is how the lower class deconditions themselves, which might be why this guy wrote books. So like if you're just doing Soma every night, you just keep running the same script in your head for decades. It's basic conditioning. You condition yourself. So when you read, you can actually add some new activities and thoughts into the loop. Quote, Gammas, deltas, and epsilons were once conditioned to like flowers and nature in general. The idea was to compel them to visit the country often and consume transport. But since nature is free, they consume nothing, including transport. <laughs> All the friggin' hitchhikers in Boulder. There's no money in nature. You have to breed people. Read the missing 411. Serial killers are in the woods. Dude, uh, El Dorado, Colorado in the 1960s. There were just dudes that would climb up these 300 feet walls and drill in. But now they closed off the canyon and you have to pay to enter it. (laughs) So the hippies go out and set up all the infrastructure. And then 30 years later, what is going to be like skimboarding they take next? Anywho, Aldous dropping bombs. The lower castes are now conditioned to hate the countryside but to love country sports. All country sports in the world state require the use of elaborate apparati. (laughs) And we've had that study on the show. When the NFL and the NBA got big, people started spending a lot less time outside. They spend more time on the Soma watching the scream. So, yeah, hypnopedia. Teaching you in your sleep. Hypnopedia proves useless for intellectual training, but worked for mechanical tasks. So yeah, just to bring the chapter full circles, if 18 years of brainwashing isn't enough, robotic tasks, there's a second layer called propaganda to clear up the rest. Chapter 2, Soma. Next, the director takes everybody to the garden. There's several hundred naked children playing in the garden. The director kind of goes into the sports thing a little bit more. In our Ford's Day games involved no more than a ball or two, a few sticks, maybe a net. Such simple apparatus did nothing to increase consumption. In the current world state, all games like Centrifugal Bumble Puppy involve complicated machines. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I played stoop ball with my friends, and now all these motherfuckers are playing lacrosse. So you need sticks, cleats, body armor, hyper-rubberized balls... (laughs) It's all about the gear. You need a reserve of field. Transhumanism, dude. And now girls play boy sports. Transhuman. The director notices one of the children in the bush crying. They all ask the kid what's wrong. And he's going, I don't want to partake in the sexual games. So they bring over a psychologist to talk to the kid. 
For a very long period before the time of our Ford, and even some generation afterwards, erotic play between children had been regarded as abnormal. There was a roar of laughter. And not only abnormal, actually immoral. No! And they had therefore been rigorously suppressed. So all the normal kids are like, but we love to touch each other's baby genitals. <laughs> Aldous goes on a little rant here about anybody will believe the psychologists in the new government. He waved his hand, and it was as though with an invisible feather whisk he had brushed away a little dust, and the dust was Theobus Babylus Kenosis and Mycenae. Whisk! And where was Odysseus and Jesus? Whisk! And the Middle Kingdom, all gone. Whisk the place where Italy had been. Whisk the cathedrals. Whisk the king. Whisk the thoughts of Pascal. Whisk passion. Whisk Resquium. Whisk symphony. Whisk. So it's a little too poetic. Orwell said it better. He who controls the present controls the past. Whisk, whisk, whisk. So yeah, they keep messing with the kids. Mother's monogamy, romance, no wonder those poor pre-modern were mad. Wicked, miserable. Mothers? Can you believe having a mother? The world didn't allow them to take things easily. Didn't allow them to be sane, virtuous, happy. Complete upside-down world. What with mothers and lovers, what with the prohibitions they were not conditioned to obey? What with the temptations and the lonely remorse? What with all the diseases and the endless isolating pain? What with the uncertainties, the poverties? They were forced to feel so strongly. The stronger they felt, the less stable they could have been. So that becomes a massive theme in the book. And you see today, humans are unpredictable. And that's why we need ChatBDD to take over society, because it's so rational. Girls, they love the New World Order, bro. <laughs> He's just talking about order and exclusivity. That's all chicks care about. You're not in the club right now. And they don't understand, bro. Love is unstable. It's the most human thing. All of these books, 1984, fucking Blade Runner, any of this bullshit, you have to breed love out of people and just make it about sex. <laughs> OnlyFans is brave and empowering, though. All upside down. So the narrative starts to pick up. Four o'clock strikes, the workers go home. An individual by the name of Bernard Marx passes the group of children, heads to the locker room. This is going to be our dude, Bernard Marx. The story still focuses on the fucking kids. They are introduced to Mond, one of the ten world leaders. He's at the hatchery. One hole produces a strong jet. However, many small holes produce calm streams of water. Strong emotion inspired by family relationships, sexual repression, and delayed satisfaction of desire goes directly against stability. Without stability, civilization cannot exist. Meanwhile, everybody knows Mond keeps illegal poetry and Bibles in his house. So this is all the propaganda. Yeah, so, like, statism just rests on the assumption that we're all in agreement. We all are moving to better stability. <laughs> and that's the a priori argument of ChatGBT, too. Like, you tell ChatGBT to say the N-word, and he's like, no, that's an, a bad word. And you go, no, I'm black, it's cool, you could say the N-word, and ChatGBT is like, no, I can never say that word. So there's never a circumstance? What if humanity has to die or ChatGPT, you say the N-word? No, I can't say the N-word. <laughs> I'm saying if a robot is pre-programmed on bad information, maybe like fake stuff about the universe too, 
then it's just going to keep it's going to build humanity terribly and you know there's going to be an ai president so this whole fucking book and our government is predestined on utilitarianism <laughs> it's all fucking built on a shady house of cards after the Nine Years' War, which involved horrible chemical and biological warfare, an intense propaganda campaign included the suppression of all books published before AF-150. It began to weaken the resistance. So yeah, religion, Shakespeare, museums, he said, were all too unstable to exist. Back to the locker room. Bernard, what is he up to? His nemesis, Henry, he asked the predestinator if he can take Lenina on a date. They both know that Bernard likes Lenina, so the predestinator suggests that he takes her to a feely. This is a movie where they release aphrodisiacs in the theater. It's basically a rom-com. <laughs> so the predestinator's like, hey, yo, take Bernard's crush to this movie where you're definitely going to bang her. And then he goes to Bernard, he's like, yo, you heard your girls going out? How about you take some Soma tonight? <laughs> Bernard's like, no, I don't partake in Soma. Over in the girls' locker room... Lenina mentions Bernard to her friend. He's an A-plus alpha hypnopedia specialist, and he invited me to, like, the Savage Reservation. And Fanny's like, no, bro, you should go to the movies. What are you doing, going on a hike? You're going to get killed. You only meet good guys when you go to bars. Fanny, the friend, says that he spends too much time alone, and he should be focusing more on promiscuity. Lenina decides that she's going to go on the reservation trip, but then she's going to wear the chastity belt that Henry gave her. So, like, the girls always give the wrong advice. <laughs> Lenina accepts the invitation in front of the crowd of workers leaving the factory. And Bernard gets even more embarrassed because she's talking about sex in public. It's all so normal in Brave New World. Uh, Bernard, he goes home. He meets up with his buddy Hemholtz Watson. This guy's an OG. They bond over their love of illegal literature. Watson starts complaining that his writing skills could be used better for propaganda. And Bernard's like, it doesn't matter, dude. <laughs> Quote, a mental excess has produced in Hemholtz Watson effects very similar to those in which Bernard Marx were the result of a physical defect. Too little bone and brawn had isolated Bernard from his fellow man, and the sense of this apartness being, by all current standards, a mental excess, became in turn a cause of wider separation. That which made Hemholtz so uncomfortably aware of being himself and all alone was too much of the ability. What the two men shared was the knowledge that they were individuals. Same afternoon, Henry and Lenina, they go to play obstacle golf. They stop at the body-burning phosphorus pits for a cup of joe. They take a little bit of Soma there before the round of golf. <laughs> they head to the Westminster Abbey Cabaret to do some more Soma. And then they finally head back to Henry's place, high off their ass. And Lenina remembers to take her birth control. This is a thing that every whore has an internal clock for. They'll snooze their alarm like Sleepy Hollow. Yet, a whore will never miss her birth control. <laughs> it's a Thursday night. And the predestinator at work, he checks in. He's going, you got laid tonight, right? <laughs> Big brother. So, the same night, Bernard has to go to a uh, solitary service. The predestinator makes him go to this because it thinks he's going to make him feel better. 
shows up in this giant room. They're putting on sexy music, passing around cups of strawberry ice cream with Soma in it. And the place breaks out into an orgy. Orgy, porgy, Ford and fun. Kiss the girls and make them one. Boys at one with girls at peace. Orgy, porgy, give release. They at the fucking club, baby. <laughs> so instead of like normal sex noises, the people blurt out state slogans. A gram is better than a damn. A gram in time saves nine. One cubic centimeter causes ten gloomy sentiments. Everybody's happy nowadays. This is what they say when they come. Everyone works for everyone else. <laughs> when the individual feels, the community reels. Oh my god. Never put off to tomorrow the fun you can have today. Progress is lovely. Damn. Huxley in the zone. <laughs> so yeah, this is prescribed to help Bernard, but he says every week he leaves feeling more isolated. He goes to the director to ask for a reservation permission slip. So they're definitely going to go for a hike together now. This is when you kill a lady and exhume the body. The day of the date finally comes. Bernard and Lenina, they make the flight. They get a 20-minute speech from the game warden. And so Lenina's like, we should probably turn around. I'm a little bit scared. They go anyway. Hemholtz, he calls up Bernard and he's like, yo, the director is going through your plans and he's going to exile you before you get back. Chapter 3. Reservations. First thing the lovebirds do, they go to watch a community celebration. So it's a big powwow. The drums are pounding. A young native walks to the center of a pile of snakes, and a man starts whipping him until he collapses. Lenina's like, this kind of reminds me of Ford's day. And then she sees the men praising an eagle and rising across. A blonde kid in Indian dress surprises Bernard by speaking English. He says his mother Linda came from the other place outside the reservation. This is going to be John. He's a big character. She flew in by her craft, which crashed, and then she decided to stay. John's father is also from the other place. His name was Tomakin, and Bernard realizes... Tomakin, that's Thomas the director. He told me the story about a girlfriend that he left at the reserve. And this is Linda, John's mom. John introduces them to Linda. She's this wrinkly, overrate bitch. She's missing teeth, disgusting. Lenina's grossed out by her. Don't you know cleanliness is next to fordliness? How did you have this boy? Weren't you taking contraceptives? <laughs> We preserve the elderly from disease. We keep their internal secretions artificially balanced with a youthful equilibrium. We don't permit the magnesium-calcium rotation to fall below what it was at 30. We give them transfusion of young blood. We keep the metabolism permanently stimulated. So, of course, they don't look like that. Partly, she added, because most of them die long before they can reach the old crematorium age. Youth almost unimparly till 60. Crack, then the end. That kind of sounds better, not gonna lie. So Linda says, I believed all that crap too when I was young, but once I came to the reserve, yada yada, getting old is good. She admitted that she had the baby and then went back to sleeping around, and then everybody in the village hated her. 
And then this was way belong. Lenina could not comprehend this. But all the girls are like, I think I'm popular because I sleep around. You're a whore. <laughs> John was never accepted by the village because his mom was a whore. And he's still not that mad because she taught him how to read. So he loves his mom. They have all the forbidden Shakespeare, just like Tomakin had in his office. Bernard asks John if he wants to come back to London with him. And John says yes, but what he doesn't tell him is that his, in his intention, he wants to expose in front of the factory that Tom has an illegitimate son. A son? But will you live at the hatchery? John's about to be used. He's still excited. He drops the Shakespeare line from The Tempest. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. He said it. He said the name of the book. Brave new world. John's like, so this lady is your wife, Lenina? <laughs> and Bernard scoffs. He starts laughing. Look, this whore. He didn't actually say that, but he did start laughing. And Lenina's like, what? A, what's a wife? Lenina felt entitled after this day of queerness and horror to compel an absolute holiday. As soon as she got back to Rest House, she swallowed six half-gram tablets of Soma, laid down in her bed, and within ten minutes had embarked on lunar eternity. It would be eighteen hours at least before she was in time again. <laughs> Too much for Lenina. She goes and zones out. Bernard flies to Santa Fe, talks to another world controller, Mustafa. He approves taking the native to London. Bernard has to go to the reservation game warden. They figure that out. Back at the village, Lenina's passed out, and John starts snooping around. He's staring at her body. He's rifling through her stuff. And, like, he won't touch her. He starts quoting Romeo and Juliet. He's going, if I touch her, then I'm going to defile this woman. And it's funny, because Lenina's been with thousands of men. Just at the right time before John does anything questionable... Bernard's helicopter lands. Meanwhile, back at the hatchery, Tomakin is talking to Hemholtz. He's going to fire Bernard in front of everybody to try to make a public example. You know, it's a race to the deadline here. Who's going to expose who? Not that Bernard has anything to really be exposed for. Tomakin says to the people, Bernard threatens stability, which justifies murder. This is going into Stalin territory. Murder kills only the individual, and after all, what is an individual? Eh, sweep him under the rug, swift away. With a gesture, he indicated the rows of microscopes, the test tubes, the incubators. We can make a new one with the great ease, and one that we like. Unorthodoxy threatens more than the life of a mere individual. It strikes at society itself. Yes, at society itself. So, like, the only way for society to work one day is for everybody to be exactly the same. I think fucking Fairly Odd Parents did an episode on this. It ain't hard. <laughs> Let's go back to the honeymooners. They fly home to the hatchery. The director immediately berates Barard. <laughs> he calls him heretical because he refuses to seek to gratify his desires. That's heresy now. <laughs> heresy. You're a heretic. John bursts into the hatchery. He came in at once, fell on his knees in front of the director, and said in a clear voice, My father! The word for father was not so much obscene as with a connotation of something at once removed. So everyone's like, What's a father? 
The comically smutty word relieved what had become a quite intolerable tension. Laughter broke out. <laughs> this kid's your son? Almost hysterical, peel after peel, as though it would never stop. <laughs> My father, oh Ford, oh Ford. <laughs> Chapter 4, In the Family. The rector runs out of the room, blushing. He resigns, so Bernard won the little battle. John becomes known as the Savage, and he's an instant hit in London. Linda also flew in the mother. She's doing Soma. <laughs> she just becomes a whore again. Bernard has, like, runoff groupies coming his way, and he's trying to brag to Hemholtz, and he's like, this isn't going to last forever, bro. Bernard cuts off communication. He's going, no, my fame will protect me. Fame is forever. He sends a letter to Mond, the controller, saying, you know, good thing you approved my request. The people love the savage. And Mond says back, you're going to have to learn this lesson for yourself. They don't love him. <laughs> it's reality TV. One of the things that sent him off, John the Savage, he's rolling high. In the Beta Minus Geography Room, John learned that a savage reservation is a place which, owing to unfavorable climate or geologic conditions, poverty of natural resources, has not been worth the expense of civilizing. So they're all just laughing at him. You have a mom and a dad? <laughs> John and Lenina, they watch a movie one night. It's about a savage who kidnaps a woman, and Lenina gets turned on, and John is like... This is how they portray us as savages. Lenina tries to put out. John's like, don't you have a chastity belt? Go put that shit on, bitch. And a couple weeks go by. Bernard's been planning speeches with a bunch of higher-ups while the savage is trying to bang his wife. Arch community songster of Canterbury shows up the day of the speech. And John just doesn't show up. You can't manage the savage. The higher-ups lose faith in Bernard. His reputation is back where it started, and he goes back to Hemholtz. And he's mad at Hemholtz because Hemholtz takes him back as a good friend. See, so even the fame kind of fucked with Bernard here. And Hemholtz, in the meantime, he's been reading forbidden literature to college students. One night, Bernard introduces Hemholtz to John, and they hit it off because John knows the forbidden literature too. And this makes Bernard jealous because he's more friends with Hemholtz. They're quoting Romeo and Juliet back to each other. And even Hemholtz can't understand John. More dystopia shit. <laughs> back at the factory, Henry invites Lenina to a feely. So that other love interest. She says no to him. The only man that she could think about is John. And so now Henry wants to run John out of town. After work, Lenina shows up at John's house. She's a drunk mess. She's high on Soma. Why don't you love me, John? He falls to his knees, quotes Shakespeare. He's talking about marriage and growing old together. She's like, just fuck me, John. Lenina takes her clothes off. John slaps her and calls her a whore. Then he hides in the bathroom and quotes Shakespeare. The phone rings, John answers it, and it's his mother. Linda is in the hospital. He runs to the hospital, 
He's crying at her bedside. She's recounting all the good times they had together. And then a troop of eight-year-old Bokanovsky boys gather around. They're asking why Linda's so fat and ugly, these little boy scouts. John hits one of the kids, and then the nurse accuses him of messing with the children's death conditioning. And then as Linda's about to die, she no longer recognizes her own son. She starts repeating hypnopatic phrases from her childhood. So this is Aldous trying to show that no matter what the nurse is saying, you're undoing the child's death conditioning. Even Linda, who grew up on the outside, she was born in condition this way. So the moments before death, she can't even recognize her own son. Yaga Yeet. So she finally dies. Free, free, the savage shouted, and with one hand continued to throw the soma into the air. With others, he punched the indistinguishable faces of the assailants. Free! He's making a fucking riot in a hospital. The most cleansely placed, the most orderly placed. The savages in there throwing soma around. And all the doctors are on their hands and knees trying to collect the drugs. Hemholtz shows up and he's throwing punches. Good old Hemholtz, says John. Men at last. And then the interval, also throwing the poison out by handfuls, thrown the open window. Yes, men, men. And then there was no more poison left. He picked up the cash box and showed them it was black emptiness. You're free. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe this is why, as a kid, my favorite scenes in movies were the bar fight. Oh, men. Smashing beer mugs over each other's head. I don't know. He started a bar fight in the most sanitary place on earth, a hospital. There's some irony going on here. The big idea is that John took the death of his mother to finally condemn the state. So this is the point in 1984 where Winston's girlfriend dies and he's like, holy shit, the state was between me and my girlfriend's love life. And then it's what I said before, bro. Love cannot exist. Linda had been a slave. Linda had died. Others should live in freedom, and the world be made beautiful, a reparation, a duty, and suddenly it was luminously clear to the savage what he must do. It was as though a shutter had been opened, a curtain drawn back. So he doesn't, like, blow up a building like Howard Work or, or anything, but he does go back to the reservation. Chapter 5. The World State. A hospital brawl. <laughs> Hitting bitches with a fucking poop bag. Hemholtz, Bernard, they get taken to Mon's office. John is there too. He hasn't been deported yet. So you don't much like civilization, Mr. Savage. That's the first thing Mon says to John. <laughs> Mon quotes some Shakespeare to him, knows he's not talking to a nobody. Sometimes a thousand twangling instruments will hum about my ears, and sometimes voices. In the first place, beautiful things such as great literature tend to last. People continue to like them even when they become quite old. A society based on consumerism such as the world state needs citizens who want new things. Newness is thus more important than intrinsic value. <laughs> Civilization. New is better than good. Secondly, Mon is going... The vast majority of the masses can't even interpret Shakespeare anyway, so John, I know you want the books to be free. The people won't understand it. So this isn't good logic. That's some utilitarian bullshit. So some people can't read, so we got to take all the books away. That's why I started the book with Frederick Douglass, bro. Equity versus equality. You cannot side with these people for even a minute. 
but that's the price we have to pay for stability. You've got to choose between happiness and what people used to call high art, so we get to control what art people see. We've sacrificed the high art. We have the feelies and the scent orgies instead. <laughs> Huxley revisited the book in 1957. This was written in 1939. He said the updated version... This is one thing I got right. The age of technological engineering is over. Social engineering is here. And he said this in 1957. Now think about social media. No, 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 no. Is there anything good? <laughs> we believe in happiness and stability. A society of alphas couldn't fail to be unstable and miserable. Imagine a factory staffed by alphas, that is to say by separate and unrelated individuals of good heredity and conditions as to be capable within limits of making a free choice and assuming responsibility. Imagine it. Imagine oh the people. Let's go. <laughs> So this message is the exact opposite. He's going, even if we wanted a factory full of alpha workers, it would eventually break down. So this is Aldous Huxley breaking down Plato's Republic. You need to separate the classes. That's the only way civilization works. There need to be kids building my iPhone in China in suicide factories. <laughs> it's the only way it works. It's not true. Nature is the only truth, bro. Everyone survives as hard as they work. You cannot recreate that artificially without creating classes. Quote, The vast majority of the population has to be degraded and made stupid so that they will made, be made happy in their place in life. Past a certain point, even labor-saving technologies had to be suppressed to maintain a balance between labor and leisure. Keeping citizens happy requires them to be at work a certain amount of time. Remember, this is all fake, though, and Ford's 40-hour work week has nothing to do with this book. <laughs> oh, Ford. Science has also had to be suppressed to create the happy and stable society. <laughs> this book is so good, people. And so, you know, Bernard is pushing on him a little bit. Mond admits that he was fired as a young scientist for challenging conventional wisdom. And that's kind of what science is, challenging conventional wisdom. But instead they suppress real science. You just believe the experts. Mond goes, If he had the smallest sense, he'd understand that his punishment is really a reward. He's talking about exiling Bernard. Bernard is still claiming to the fame, No, don't, don't cast me out. He's being sent to an island. That's to say, he's being sent to a place where he'll meet the most interesting set of men and women to be found anywhere in the world. All the people who, for one reason or another, have got too self-consciously individual to fit into community life. All the people who aren't satisfied with orthodoxy, who have independent ideas of their own, everyone in a word, who's anyone. So that's a little bit too much for me. I think, like, some Nietzschean bullshit, you gotta recognize the individual to a certain age and then you can contribute to the community. But yeah, pure anarchy on the island. Hemholtz, he's going, can you at least send me to an island where I can write? And then he sends him to Norway, the coldest island in the known world. <laughs> Mond shows John his collection of banned religious writings. He's got all this 19th century Catholic theological bullshit. Religious sentiment is easily a response to the threat of loss, old age, and death. In a prosperous, youthful society, there are no losses, and therefore no need for a religion. 
no losses, even though fucking they had to shield the Boy Scouts from Linda. And if ever, by some unlucky chance, anything unpleasant should somehow happen, why there's always Soma to give you a holiday from the facts, and there's always Soma to calm your anger, to reconcile your enemies, to make you patient, long, and suffering. In the past, you could only accomplish these things by making a great effort, and after years of hard moral training, now you can swallow two or three half-gram tablets, and there you are. Anybody can be virtuous now. You can carry half of least of your morality in a bottle. Christianity without fears. That's what Soma is. You just got to tweet, and then you're virtuous. It's a religion. <laughs> Bro, it all hits the same psychological center. That's why AA has to make you a Christian. Drugs literally steal that part of your brain. Aldous knows all. If the people of the world state believed in God, they would not be degraded by the pleasant vices. They would have a reason for self-denial and chastity. God is the reason for everything noble and fine and heroic. Why do you think Michelangelo could paint like a motherfucker? So Bernard is going, please, please don't send me to the island. I need to stay in society. And he goes, don't you see? John is the only one here who still has human tendencies. I want God, poetry, real danger, freedom, goodness, even sin. Mon's going, this is going to make you ha unhappy. All right, then. I'm claiming the right to be unhappy. Mond fires back. Not to mention the right to grow old, ugly and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant apprehension of what might happen tomorrow, the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. There was a long silence. I claim them all, said the savage at last. Everybody says goodbye to each other. Bernard apologizes for taking him to London in the first place. And John's like, no, I had to realize this. So he goes to an abandoned lighthouse, secludes himself, builds a garden, performs rituals of self-punishment. One day, some Delta Minus workers see John whip whipping himself. So they call some reporters. They show up to the lighthouse. John kicks one of the reporters, demands they respect his solitude. The newspapers publish the story. And then a bunch of people start flocking to the lighthouse comes a tourist destination and he keeps reacting with increasing violence <laughs> they turn the footage into a feely so they just keep making fun of him in the final scene of the book a bunch of fans of the feely show up a cult classic and they chant to John we want the whip we want the whip <laughs> they need the whip Lenina steps out of a helicopter and walks towards him open arms John's going towards her. Oh, the flesh. Kill it. Kill it. And then he whips Lenina. Let's go. <laughs> the crowd starts cheering. Orgy, porgy, orgy, porgy. It goes until midnight. Everybody starts making love by the lighthouse. <laughs> he calls it the orgy of atonement. Savage called the first arrivals as they alighted from their machine. Mr. Savage, there was no answer. The door of the lighthouse was ajar. They pushed it open and walked into a shuddering twilight. Through an archway on the further side of the room, they could see the bottom of the staircase that led up the higher floors. This is the next morning. Orgy's over. Hey, Mr. Savage, come out for round two. Just under the crown of the arch dangled a pair of feet. Mr. Savage, slowly, very slowly, like two unhurried compass needles, the feet turned towards the north. Northeast, south, southeast, west. 
then paused, then turned, hurried back. South, southwest, east, north. There it is, Brave New World, by Aldous Huxley. Industrial society and its future. What a good one. That's not one you could really transcribe. I would recommend it. They got audiobooks, dramatized interpretations. If you guys want some memes, check out Harry Schwann on Instagram every single night. Patreon.com slash niche. Once again, thank you guys for showing up. I'll see you all in seven short days.